0: Welcome to the Meta Woman podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay, the boss, Poss. The Meta Woman podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Lindsay, the Boss Boss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for listening every week. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for engaging with me, sending me your thoughts, and for all the new listeners out there, I hope you enjoy, and I hope you'll come back next week. This is going to be such a fun conversation about esports and the market in Southeast Asia. I'm delighted to welcome Jen Hall, Head of Strategic Partnerships in Southeast Asia and India for AMP Jen, welcome to the
1: show. It's so great to have you. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for ages. Yes, me too. Uh, I, to start, I would love for you to
0: tell me a little bit about your current position and about just Amphurst as a company. I know we're going to walk through a lot of the background, but I, I definitely want to hear, you know, what you do, what you love,
1: what it's all about at Amphurst. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So um, thanks very much for the introduction. So I am head of strategic partnerships at Ampers and we are a gaming and entertainment uh, company operating across Southeast Asia and South Asia. So our vision really is to bring inspiration to every gamer everywhere. So we're on a real mission to develop innovative esports teams, uh, talents, and also uh, products. So we own and operate championship-winning esports teams across the region uh thailand vietnam india soon to launch in the philippines and then um indonesia probably at the latter part of this year or early next year as well so um i can sort of talk a little bit about my role as well at the moment yes
0: yeah also for those of you that are listening and not watching you should definitely go look at the youtube video because jen's cat is just being an absolute all star (laughs) making a great (laughs) appearance today so happy to welcome
1: pets on the show <laughs> she's such an attention seeker she absolutely loves it um so yeah, so going back to sort of my role um oh here she is again um, um it really splits into kind of two key parts so the first part is all about product development so um for us it's all about focusing on developing our own ip um and really for the gaming and esports communities that sit at the intersection of course of popular culture so Initially, when we uh, first launched back in 2019, we were really focused on um, our eSports teams and sponsorship Mm -hmm. opportunities and also very much on sort of the influencer campaigns. And this really made sense for a lot of brands as well that we were partnering with, because, of course, for a lot of them, they were really just starting to dip their toes into sort of gaming um, and eSports space. But um, as things have developed, obviously, the industry has matured somewhat and now having um, secured our Series A, Um, developing our own IP products has become a really kind of crucial part of that. So it's everything from developing original content series to fan-powered events and tournaments, um, and also now very much focused as well on Web3, um, the metaverse, and also this uh, space of NFT and activations, which I know we'll be talking more about later. So that's kind of the first part. So it's really about product. And then the second part, I'm very focused um, as well, obviously, on the partnership side. So for us, it's about focusing on where are those mutually beneficial partnerships that we can find that will help to elevate the profile of our esports teams and talents. And at the same time, of course, be able to elevate the presence of that, that brand as well across the gaming and esports communities in the region. So that can be anything from sort of partnerships with music labels and artists through to um, apparel brands, also charities. Um, and um, also as well with media and broadcasting as well, particularly for, for the original content. So.
0: so many things to dig into. And I i was, yeah. you know, we, we started chatting right before this. And so there's a question that I really, really want to ask first, even though it's not even close to the first question on the list that I have written here. Um, but with talking about developing partnership strategies and sponsorship strategies and being a relatively young organization, uh, I mean, Two and a half, three years is, is probably actually quite old for esports, but it's mm-hmm. also young in terms of building a company and fleshing out a, a strategy. And so much of that was the COVID pandemic, which just threw a wrench in everyone's business plans. Um, oh, yeah. I would love to talk about, because you mentioned that you started with a lot of influencer partnerships and things like that, and how has it changed from content marketing focus to event focused like what is the how have you been approaching partnerships from the like we were just talking about it but IRL versus digital so you have like the IRL the events the teams all that stuff that you can do all kinds of fan engagement with and then you also have social media twitch streams all that stuff that you can do digital engagement with so what have you how has this changed in the third year and what are you kind of looking forward to with balancing those two things
1: yeah, great question. So um, I think in the past, um, you know, and obviously during COVID, everything had to move online. So, um, you know, being given that Gen Z and millennials really are the core um, of the, the gaming space as well, particularly and, and very much for, from an esports perspective as well, um, it really wasn't too much of a difficult transition, as you, as you mentioned already, everyone engaging with all of these platforms like YouTube and Facebook and also to some degree in this um, region as well with Twitch. Although I would say to to a slightly lesser extent, so really it was it was very natural for us. Um, I think for a lot of brands, as I mentioned, you know, sort of gaming was really quite abstract and and no one really kind of understood it. But as we went through the uh, the COVID period, it was really about a process of education. Obviously, gaming grew and esports as well exponentially, and a lot of brands started to realize the importance of you know understanding this space. So it was really very important for us to start at the education phase and developing a lot of um, sort of insights around that to really help the brands understand. And so sort of the natural progression for them was to uh, start with the influencers. Um, It's something that they knew obviously outside of gaming. And so obviously that was kind of an easy uh, in. Um, And of course for us, you know, the the data element behind that was really important. Just showcasing um, the sheer amount of engagement that was um, happening and the level of viewership as well um both for for our esports teams but also for for the influences um that we have um as well in the market and it really was a whole different combination of different content formats as well so um everything from you know the the sort of online esports tournaments through to um watching uh, our kols in gameplay um and then also um off the back of that then sort of entertainment series that actually You know, UGC was a huge part of that. And of course, that didn't really interrupt our gaming KOLs. Like they could still um, capture a lot of footage and create entertaining content from home. So that was kind of the first part. And then that really then um, started to develop more into kind of tournaments as well. Um, So things like online show matches with some of these top influencers, which, which proved really engaging. And I've actually kind of got some other examples to be able to share later. Um... And so um, brands really started to see the benefit of, of engaging with these sort of different types of um, online formats as well during that time. And, um, you know, they're all trying to fight for eyeballs. Um, and of course, this is where everyone was, uh, was drawn to during that time as well. So it was a great it was a great opportunity to engage with the community then. Um, but it really did come back to, to kind of showcasing um, the, the data behind that to really kind of give them that, that level of reassurance.
0: Have you noticed, and again, we were actually just speaking about this before, but on the consumer end, have you noticed if people are finally starting to kind of come back to in-person events? Or has there been more of a strong preference for online stuff still? Like, are
1: are you seeing that uptick at all? Really good question. So, um, to be honest, in the first part of this year, I would say it's definitely still been um, uh, very much more focused on the online. Um, I think a lot of people were still kind of treading carefully early in this uh, earlier in this year, um particularly in a lot of these Southeast Asia markets. you know it took a lot longer for us to sort of come out the other side of things like lockdowns versus a lot of the western countries um so the focus was still very much online um I think last year to get, share a kind of couple of examples um with you. I think one of the examples that we have from Thailand was we uh, we ran a online sort of show match and tournament last year for Nest Cafe. Uh, to be able to promote their their, uh, espresso product that they were launching in the market. And Mm -hmm. their key objective, because they couldn't reach consumers offline, was to really generate awareness through the Gen Z audience, but also to drive actual purchase. So we actually set up an online tournament with our top gaming influencers in Thailand and ran a competition. So for every espresso can that was purchased, um, the, uh, shopper could actually register that purchase online and then they had a chance to win a spot to play in the tournaments with their influencer idols and win all sorts of cool prizes, um, at the same time. So that was that a was really a big, cool activation. Yeah. yeah it that's super really cool. It was, it was really well received. We actually just won an award for it from, um, the media agency association of Thailand, which was really exciting. Um, But, yeah, I think that was a great example of how, you know, uh, a brand really engaged with this space and really understood the benefits of being able to um, activate for an online um, initiative as well with the community. And, of course, ultimately, um, sort of still drive that that engagement and purchase behavior as well. And then another example um, this year that we ran actually in India was um, a collaboration with Gillette. So we created um, a pro esports tournament online called the Gillette and Seven Seat Invitational, which we ran in partnership with Sky Esports, our partner in India. And um, we achieved over 83 million impressions uh, for that particular campaign. Um, It was a nine day tournament, all online, a fantastic opportunity um, for our audience as well to be able to engage with the Gillette brand. Um And in fact, we have just run um a community survey recently with our 7C community. And we've seen fantastic results in terms of that brand sentiment as well for Gillette um, and their MAC3 product, um, which essentially was a partnership that they forged as well uh, with BGMI in the market. So a lot of it has still very much been these kind of online activations in various different forms. Um, but certainly a big focus for for me now as well in my role is all about these in person um, uh, fan powered events as well. So we're starting to build out um, hyper local um, uh, events in in each of our local markets. Um, we're thinking on this of this in a very broad way though. So it, it's all about sort of gaming and lifestyle. Um, so there are various different elements that we're going to be interacting uh, into those sort of programs, everything from sort of the esports element side to also uh, Web3 with play and earn gaming. So giving um, the community an opportunity to participate and learn about the opportunities with the play and earn based games um, with NFTs um, as well, which we will also be integrating um, into the space. Um, and I think, yeah, th- th- those kind of opportunities to actually bring the fans together in person, um, and an opportunity to sort of interact um in, in that level and also ensure that we've got a lot of immersive experiences that they can join in person as well will be really important. But I really think that it's um, you know, the the two are very synergistic. You know, there's a huge amount of overlap between the online and offline. So whilst a lot of these offline events will be taking place, it's still absolutely crucial that a lot of this is captured. Um, For the online um, audience at the same time,
0: that makes sense. I have kind of two follow up questions there, um, especially since we started talking about Web three and NFTs, which is great, so much fun for me. Um, The first, and this is this is backing up a little bit, but what are the major uh, streaming providers that you use? And and I want I'm curious because I I know about you know Billy Billy and Do you in China, but I don't know how far that market extends and where it's at in Southeast Asia. So that's kind of the first question of we have Twitch here. What do you all use? Mm -hmm. And then uh, the second question about, you know, Web3 and NFTs is what is the reception like with the audience that you're working with? Because again, the North American audience has had a very, let's say, checkered response to incorporating NFTs and, and play and earn games. So, yeah. So what are the streaming platforms and what's the attitude towards Web3 and crypto games
1: where you're at? awesome so um i think uh, to answer your first question um kind of taking it back a step i think one of the most important things for for people to understand is that asia as a whole is extremely fragmented um you know it's very different to working in the us or europe i
0: wondered yeah yeah sorry extremely- just interrupted that's what i was thinking i was like i feel like the chinese streaming services are not going to be popular in southeast
1: asia <laughs> <laughs> they're certainly very different um um, and China sort of is a is a beast of its own, to be honest. But, um, you know, everything from, from the language element through to all of the different cultural nuances, um, I think it's really important to understand that every market is extremely different and we have to take them in isolation. So, um, you know, for us as a business, it's really important that we take a, a hyper-local approach as well to everything that we do. So answering your question about the streaming platforms, um, It's really interesting that you generally see, if I'm going to generalize, that um, YouTube is actually the most prominent platform across the region. Um, It's really seen a huge um, level of success over the years, Um, but there definitely are um, different um, iterations um, across each of the markets as well. So Facebook is also extremely popular um, in certain markets. So, for instance, in the Philippines, Facebook is a much bigger platform for the gaming and esports community than YouTube. Um, And then in India, it's still very much about YouTube, but then you've also got some of these new streaming platforms emerging like Loco and also Rooter as well, who uh, essentially refer to themselves as the Twitch of India. Um, So it's a really different um, and interesting dynamic there. So um, yes, it's definitely really fragmented and we really have to take every market in isolation to um, assess which is the optimum platform that we want to be able to execute on um, uh, in each market as well. And depending on the type of activation.
0: And then what were the attitudes towards web three planner and games, NFTs in games? Like I said, in in the U S and North America, it's, it's not good, which is sad to me personally. um, But I would love to know like
1: what the attitudes are like where you're at and who you're working with. Yeah, for sure. So, um, look, I think there's, there's definitely a huge amount of hype. Um, I think one of the first exciting things to mention is that we are fully invested in this space. So, in fact, we just hosted our Web3 launch event around two weeks ago in Bangkok, which was fantastic. Um, there's a huge amount of interest and excitement. In fact, we, we well oversubscribed on the guest list as well, because I think so many people are really interested to, to learn about this space. And so um, sort of off the back of that, I think, yeah, one of the key elements here is, is education. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are extremely skeptical. Um, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of people who are eager to learn. So um, both on the B2B level and learn about the opportunities there, um, and we are already forging um, a lot of different exciting partnerships with virtual words in the metaverse. Also, with some of these um, global game publishers in the space, the likes of sort of an Alimoga brand or a, or a Gala or a Sky Mavis, et cetera, which is super exciting. Um, but it's also really interesting when we've conducted surveys with our esports communities recently around our teams, there's been a huge level um, of interest in learning about crypto and the NFT space and also play and earn. So actually recently with some of the surveys um, that we conducted in Thailand with our um, bacon time community uh, who are very mobile focused and then our MITH community who are much more PC focused, around 85 to 95% um, said they were essentially interested to learn about crypto in the blockchain gaming space. So um, there's a huge huge. amount of interest here. and, And also those that actually want to learn more about play and earn Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we foresee there's a huge opportunity, you know, with this younger generation. Um, but it's very much about taking the first steps on, on education and giving them a a level of confidence there as well. So, um, making sure that everything that we do is focused on entertainment and having fun at the core. I think that's crucial as we know for any part of gaming. So every single activation, that we are going to be taking this space has to be entertaining and fun at its core and also i think really losing the jargon there's so much jargon around from the metaverse and, and crypto and nfts and i think everyone just feels totally overwhelmed so i think it's about ensuring that we're we're creating a sense of simplicity around it as well um to help people really understand and in, engage with the space so um I definitely think we've kind of got a lot of opportunity there with people um, in terms of interest levels. Um, And I think the other thing to bear in mind is that, you know, from from a Web3 perspective as well, like gaming has been at the core of that since like the start, right? You know, you've had Roblox, which started back in 2006, um, which is crazy to think. And they've got like something crazy, like over 200 million daily active users, you know. Um, So from, from that element and where we've got that younger audience, who are very much digital natives, um, who are already interacting and finding their, their um, sort of uh, social interactions taking place a lot of the time in this space as well. It's also quite natural to them. Um, so as we see the development more of like these new virtual worlds in the metaverse, so we've got like the likes of Sandbox and Decentraland, and there's sort of a whole host of new virtual worlds opening up at the time. Um, I foresee that actually it's a really natural fit with the esports and and gaming communities as well. So um, I envisage that, you know, the uptake is only going to continue to increase. And from the play and earn space as well, I think this is really interesting. So um, for us, as part of our Web3 business pillar, we've actually developed our new AMP guild um, focused on um, play and earn uh, blockchain based games. So we really want to be able to open up an opportunity for all players to, to earn for the time and effort that they're spending um, playing these sorts of games. Um, so ultimately, like giving people control and ownership back of the time and money that they're spending uh, when they're gaming, which, of course, has in the past um, not not been possible in the, in the same way. So for us, we really want to open up these opportunities um, and, and develop a sense of community. Which again is at, at the core of everything that we want to really achieve and do. So, an opportunity for everyone to be able to play, um, reap the rewards of that, um, and um, yeah, even at the next level, then um, think about how we can then take that to the competitive level. So, start to um, pick out some of those real top players in this space as well. Um, which in the web and earn space is is um, sorry, play and earn space is, is referred to as scholars um and actually starting to forge our own esports teams in the space too.
0: So following up on all that I would love to hear cuz you mentioned right at the end and this is actually a perfect segue into the question that I wanted to ask. Um you started talking about developing esports teams and getting competitive players on a roster to then, you know, do all the partnership sponsorship things that you're doing with Amp First. I'm wondering So first of all, it's just funny to me to think about a player playing a play and earn game and then also streaming it and making money on top. Like that's, that's great. That's a good thing. It's just like the best form of double dipping I can think of, honestly. (laughs) But I'm wondering what that looks like. Like, are you, when you're talking about developing esports teams, particularly for players in kind of these newer spaces, especially, are you thinking about them in the same way that you're thinking of, say a competitive CSGO team? And I would imagine that it's going to be different, but what elements are you kind of taking from, I guess, we're already getting to the point where it's traditional eSports structure and thinking about bringing those into web three and where do you think there might be differences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, great question. Um, certainly um, for, from the differences perspective, I would say it's, it's more around sort of the game titles that are already out there in the play and earn space already. Um and versus what is obviously there from a traditional esports um perspective. I think just taking a step back very quickly in terms of the games, it's probably um worth me pointing out that obviously, given that this market is so fragmented in Southeast Asia, there, there's a huge difference in terms of the game titles that are actually being played, and, and a lot of which will be very different um, to the to the US and Europe as well. So um, you know, our esports teams in Thailand, we have two one called Bacon Time, which is focused on mobile games. Um, they play Arena of Valor, which is um, the most popular game um, in that market. It's actually known as um, Honor of Kings in China. Um, but that's extremely popular in Thailand and then also in Vietnam. However, if we then go and look at um, you know, markets like the Philippines and Indonesia, you've then got uh, mobile titles like Mobile Legends Bang Bang, which is extremely popular as well as an esports title, and then also Dota 2. And then in India, you have BGMI, which is no, uh, Battlegrounds Mobile India, which essentially is the same game as PUBG Mobile, but it was actually um, relaunched um, as BGMI by uh, Crafton in the market um, as um, sort of political conflict between India and China actually prevented um, a lot of the Chinese apps from, from being present in the market anymore. So in terms of the game titles, these esports titles as well that um, the teams are playing, They're extremely diverse across the region. But what I would say is that, um, you know, uh, the most important thing um, is that they are, you know, high quality, um, obviously highly competitive and fun. So I think from from the point of view of the play and earn space, um, this is only just starting to reach a point, really, where there are games um, being launched into the market that are really starting to fit the bill to be classified as an esports game. Um, So, in fact, um, there's one particular game at the moment that our um, Play and Earn guild have been already hosting tournaments as well, weekly tournaments for the community to enjoy, um, and that's called uh, Spider Tanks, which is published by Gala Games. Um, So we've already noticed a really significant uptake as well for this particular um, game format. Um, So much so that we actually even took our Play and Earn uh, guild team um, and esports teams, and also there were a range of other esports teams from across Africa, parts of Europe um, as well to actually play in a an, um, blockchain-based game esports tournament in Dubai. So um, that was awesome. I want to say that I think it's the first esports team, um, esports tournament, sorry, that has actually been hosted as a LAN event for any blockchain-based games to date, which was super exciting um it's so cool really cool and in fact sort of going back to your point about the players side as well we actually had um one of our ex-pro players actually playing in our amgur guild esports team for that specific event um and there are a number of our players that have actually really enjoyed the experience of playing this specific title um and they really feel that it's it, it's a competitive game that actually really has legs so um so we're, we're heavily invested in games really that actually have that eSports element um, around them um, as well. So um, again, making it more exciting for the community, allowing us to set up tournaments uh, with prize pools, um, et cetera. So yeah, I think, I think there's still a long way to go, but definitely we're starting to see more of an emergence of sort of these um, play and earn-based games that have that really competitive fun element. And are high enough quality to really justify kind of that that esports title as well
0: that is so cool I can't believe that there's already tournaments happening you know I I feel like everything is coming I mean it's it's tech so everything moves at the speed of light of course um but that's really really neat and exciting that's really cool um let's back up for a second and actually talk about you because we've been talking about ampers this whole time my plan for the episode was to talk about you first and then get into some of the work you're doing. But we just started off on such cool roads. I couldn't help but follow them. But I want to back up and I want to know how you wound up getting involved in first mm-hmm. And here you are talking about Web3 Gaming. You're, you're one of the few people I've met who, who does that
1: really often. You know, like, how did you get here? What's your story with that? <laughs> good question. Really good question um it's not a conventional story at all my uh my actual background um wasn't in gaming um really before i i joined amp um i was a bit of a gamer when i was sort of much younger and in my teens. so um starting from playing games on my dad's pc like prince of persia i'm now showing my age (laughs) so i used to love such a good one though it's (laughs) a classic absolute classic i used to love that so um, games like Prince of Persia, obviously Mario Kart, um, so that that was a big feature in our household, um, all the way through to then getting really into Quake as well. So my dad bought me Quake, and I I started to become quite obsessed with that game. Um, but really, that kind of um, that kind of interesting gaming sort of stopped in my late teens. Uh, you know, I was going to university, etc. Um, and so yeah, that like sort of from that time, gaming didn't really kind of feature. Um, I actually left university and went to um, Cantar which um, is a part of WPP. And essentially, I was working on, on their graduate scheme in their Cantor World Panel Division. So I was de- um, dealing at the time with um, consumer and shopper insights in grocery. So a very, very different world. Um, I worked for them in London for about three years, um, really kind of um, soaking up like a sponge, all of the kind of key soft skills that that I was able to develop. So um, how to kind of um, assess data and develop insights, um, how to create proposals, how to pitch to clients, um, and most importantly, also being able to really manage client relationships. And I think that's, that's something that for me has always been the biggest passion point. I, I love working with people um, and, and obviously trying to make sure that I'm kind of giving them the best possible service um, as possible. So, yeah, I worked I work for them for about three years. Um, I always had a love for Asia. I traveled in Asia already for a number of years as well, and specifically Thailand. A role came up in Thailand uh, that was supposed to be a six-month Um, and it turned into six and a half years. Um, so I was doing a, a very similar role to the UK, but I had the opportunity to travel all over Asia, um, meeting new clients, presenting. I was in China one week, Taiwan, the Philippines, Vietnam. So you name it, I, I went everywhere. Um, and I was I'm just so lucky to have such a fantastic opportunity and and really kind of get under the skin of, of Asia and the different markets and the different cultural nuances as well. So, yeah, I worked for them um, in uh, Thailand for about six and a half years. I then moved with my role um, and started working on the Procter & Gamble account for, for Asia and working with the global P&G hair care team as well out of Singapore. So... Um, that's 11 and a half years of my career um, gone, uh, which was fantastic. And I had um, so many learnings and, and developed so many core skills as well. Um, the experience of working in Asia, of course, was, was um, fantastic. But um, I really kind of had um, that drive as well to move more into the kind of the creative space. So I actually went um, to completely the opposite side. I went from working in a massive corporate to working, from, uh, to working for SMEs and startups. So I actually worked for two global open source creative platforms, helping um, creators, essentially, freelancers, etc, to be able to kind of partner up with, with big global brands on their creative campaigns. Um, and actually the latter um, company that I worked with is where I really started getting into the gaming space again. Um, so um, it, you know gaming was just start to be talked about a lot as well, um, and the industry and the opportunities. Um, and I was pitching to the likes of EA and then also Animoca Brands um, as well, who are a blockchain-based um, developer and publisher um, and also a venture capitalist company as well. So that was when I really started to, to jump into to the gaming space and really realized how much I loved it and was very passionate about the opportunity, um, the sense of kind of community that surrounded gaming um, as well, and also just the sheer sense of diversity um, as well. So, it, 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 really fascinated me. Um, I met my now boss, um, when we were actually starting a discussion on potentially partnering up, um, at the time between our two companies, he was just launching Ampverse. Um, and in fact that ended up, uh, then being a, a job offer on the table for me to, to join them. So that was in November, 2019. So, um, I'll be honest, I was very nervous. Um, I think, um, purely purely my uh, the pressure being on myself as well because um you know i really didn't feel overly confident yet in the gaming space i'd only sort of starting to learn the industry for about a year or so but i was also super excited um and i think one of the key things for me um and i've sort of always had instilled in me as well is you know uh, you know you can achieve anything if, if you really set your mind to it and and dedicate your time and you work hard so for me it was all about the research element i was reading so many articles watching videos and really trying to get under the skin of, of, of the gaming and esports space in the region. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic opportunity. Um, and yeah, it's kind of brought me, brought me to where I am today two and a half years later in my dream job.
0: Which is so fun. I, I, this is a question that I've been, I think we talked a little bit about when I, when I initially met you, but one thing I would love to know about is if you were able to kind of, bring a lot of the consumer insights work into what you do now. I would imagine that that's an extremely valuable knowledge base to have when you're trying to build an audience and build a brand. So what, what came over from your time working in consumer
1: insights? Absolutely. Yeah, no, super good point. Well, I think from the start having been very immersed in kind of the data and insights space, I think for me, um, it it was a crucial element um, of, of, Uh, sort of generating um an educational piece for well one myself but also for for potential um clients and and partners as well in in this particular space so data and insights to me have always been a fundamental part um of of, you know working together with any brands and partners as well um to really give them the reinsurance um of the opportunity within the, the space um and also where um you know, there, there's that level of authenticity and the right fit um, as well. So, um, you know, trying to understand the, the trends in the markets, as I mentioned earlier, you know, this region particularly is extremely fragmented. So it's really important to understand the nuances um, in every single market. And so for me, that was a huge learning um, that I actually took from, from my days working in, in the market research world as well, really being able to um, take that data and, and create stories um, as well um, around around the communities in each of the markets and really being able to highlight what those business opportunities might be. And of course, um, you know there's so many different opportunities, and this is why we're developing such a, an extensive suite of, of products as well. So it, it, you know, it's the same with with any form of um, kind of creative and advertising, you know for some brands it, it's it's going to be um, a best fit to be focusing sort of on the on the original content opportunities as well and how to reach the community. In, uh, in other respects, it, it might be um, tournaments because actually the brand itself is the right fit, um, who the audience is, um, that, you know, they have that natural synergy there um, and the messaging as well. So there's, there's so many different um, opportunities and routes, but I think everything comes back to, to the data and insights and trying to ensure that we've got sort of an authentic fit um, between sort of the products that we are proposing to the brands and how they can best um, reach their their target audience um, as well. So I would say that is definitely the one thing that has definitely been instilled into me um, from the start.
0: So going along with that and your experience as someone who has worked a lot with consumer insights and with data, how are you able to, like, I guess this is more of an advice question. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to identify where they can fill in a gap? Like what questions do you ask yourself uh, to be able to say like okay I want to be the one that organizes tournaments or I want to be the one that makes content plays like for anyone out there who's working on a team or is interested in working with you know esports at
1: large what questions do you ask yourself to know what you should be doing <laughs> very good question so I think um one of the most important and the, and the fun of fundamental part really is um who are that audience so who are these people that are actually kind of engaging um, in this specific uh, space so for instance, if, it, if it's content series and we're trying to think about when, what are the platforms that we should be looking at in terms of distribution um, you know who are the audience base on each of these platforms as well and are they going to be the right fit for this this content series that we're actually planning to develop um, and then off the back of that, um, who are the appropriate talents that we then want to bring into that content series as well? So it's very much trying to gain an understanding initially of like who are those people that we're trying to reach, where can we best find them? So on which platforms, or if it's if it's an offline event, you know, from a location perspective, what's the kind of footfall? Who are the types of um, you know sort of shoppers or consumers who are going to be attending in those spaces um, as well? Or um, and then and then also like. How do we design a program that is going to best fit um, for that audience and also then for for the brands um, or partners that we're going to be involving? But everything really first starts with the audience and and who we're trying to reach and and on what platforms that we can actually best reach them um, overall. And then the next part is about who do we, you know, what do we want to feature in that program? Who do we want to integrate? Who is then going to best appeal to that audience? And who is also then an authentic um, fit with, with that brand partner um, that, that we're bringing in um, as well. So there, there's many different um, elements that we kind of have to factor in, into that understanding. Um, and um, yeah, there's, I, I'd say that um, one of the most challenging things still to date is a sort of centralized research um, resources. I think that's still one of the biggest challenges for the gaming and the esports industry as a whole. Um, you know, we've, there's, there's so many different, um, avenues and, and routes and sources that, that you can tap into. So I still very much find that, um, trying to build out a story can be, um, extremely time consuming and quite a challenge. Um, there's a lot of different sources that, that you can go to. But, um, having said that, I'm, I'm noticing that there's still a wealth of information that is still starting to build out there. You know, we've got the likes of New Zoo. Um, who are a great source of kind of top line data for the gaming and eSports space. And they really do start to drill down into the specific regions and markets in Asia as well, which is fantastic. Um, also, the likes of YouGov, um, they actually created a fantastic um, white paper thought leadership um, piece last year, which was um, fantastic, all about sort of profiling gamers and the platforms that they that they like to um, watch and consume eSports um all the way through to kind of the profile of, of who these fans are as well so there was a huge amount of insight from that but we're definitely having to still cherry pick a lot from from various different sources to really get to the crux of you know um what it what does this kind of uh, industry look like and and how can we best activate and 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 execute within that as well and and also of course then bringing in the brand partners and and making sure that there's that level of authenticity too um so for us um, as i mentioned earlier that you know co- conducting our community surveys has been really important and also really interesting um so i mentioned earlier some of those learnings that we also um understood about play and earn where a huge amount of the community were really interested in crypto um but obviously they still felt they had to learn a lot and there was a lot of education needed so you know that's a learning we can take when we're going to go and to chat to potential crypto partners and sponsors as well and you know, uh, let them know that obviously as a foundational element, if you want to try and really engage with this audience, um, and connect with them, we've got to think about how can we start with a, with an educational focus in a fun, in a fun way. We know the community want to learn. How can we achieve that with you? Um, so yeah, this, this, that the community surveys have definitely um, been invaluable to us to understand what does our community really want? What do they look for? You know, if I'm going to be thinking about who am I going to partner with from a music label, or artist perspective you know who do these community members resonate with like um who, who's important to them you know we and again being fragmented markets we can't just assume that we can uh, develop one partnership that will be a fit all for the whole um uh, region you know every market's different so understanding those local market nuances understanding our community as well is is really important that makes so much
0: sense and i so i formerly worked as a, in a data analytics position and yes the lack of data for me is is one of the toughest parts about esports i'm like there's nothing to run regressions oh, on <laughs> i can't yeah. figure out anything
1: <laughs> a lot of hours googling and searching the net uh for you know all sorts yeah. of different insights to try and build together the stories and you know what there, right. there is so much out there there is so much out there but but I think, you know, there's still a long way to go before we can Absolutely. we can really kind of, um, you know, find a sort of cent- more centralized sources ultimately to really help mm-hmm. us kind of tell those um, those stories um, as effectively as possible.
0: Yeah, Yugo has been, and Nuzu have both been very helpful, but I'm definitely looking forward to, because they put out really great insights, right? but I want like the backend stuff, you know, I want the data. Nothing, um,
1: nothing. <laughs> it just, right? Like really? I want to,
0: and, and it's, we're just not at a point in the industry where those data sets and everyone who's ever been in data knows that the hardest part about being in data is getting the data set together. Like it, this is not a novel problem in esports no. by any means. <laughs> it's just that the, the fact that, I mean, if you compare to like so many of like grocery industries, there's like hundred plus years worth of stuff you can look at and so it's just it's just different. This is such a young industry, so there's time. But yeah, definitely creating, building those data sets. I'm like, oh there's no Bureau of Labor Statistics for esports yet. Not at
1: all. Not at all. No.
0: So yes, it is it is a dream of mine to get there someday. But I totally understand that theme Um well Jen, you've just given me so much to think about, which has been so great. I'm gonna quickly summarize some of the points that we talked about. Um, And then we'll get into our last section here. So we started with online services and influencers, games and tournaments, even online, generate lots of UGC that help further build the brand. Focus is still online. It doesn't even have to necessarily be in real life. You can still have these events and you can have that kind of similar engagement that creates all that content to then be able to further engage with fans. So it's kind of a a self-feeding cycle. Um, we talked, or you mentioned a bit about the Nest Cafe partnership, and you mentioned Gillette as as well. Um, these are both really unique, I thought. I think that the Nest Cafe, the opportunity to go buy something in real life and then enter into that that raffle, that opportunity to go play with uh, with professional esports players, is a really cool bridge between real life and online worlds. Uh, so, was really, really neat activation there. You also mentioned that as we get into more real life events, you're looking into do you're looking to do hyper local tournaments. So that the Asian market at large is really fragmented, so it's going to be different approaches in different areas. Taking each market in isolation is really important for deciding what to execute on. Um, and we then talked about that in relationship to platforms. And I know that you had mentioned Facebook and YouTube are big platforms in the region, although in different places, one is bigger than the other. And then in other regions, there's other completely different third parties that are bigger than both of those. So it's it's really split up um, in that way, whereas I, I definitely think that we are very used to a Twitch-dominated environment in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, what you do at Amphurst, you're also looking towards the future, towards the metaverse, fully invested into Web3. There's a I think that the surveys that you stated were so cool, that there's so much interest in learning about the space, but that education is going to be a key element in getting any partnerships, any collaborations off the ground. People want to learn about crypto and play and earn, but there's still a huge gap in how to do that from both a B2C and a B2B level. So it's going to take a little bit for that. However, you mentioned that you already have a guild that is focused on play and earn and blockchain-based games. And that they have been able to host events, have tournaments, and do a lot of the things that we think of as traditional esports in games that are not blockchain-based, which is so cool. When it comes to your journey on getting into gaming and esports, I think you give really good advice in saying, read as much as you can, put your mind into it as much as you can, and don't be afraid to get started without the deepest knowledge base. So if you're passionate about it, get out there. Uh, just put your mind to it and, and work a little bit harder maybe at the beginning to, to build yourself up, but you don't need to know everything going in. There's, there's definitely an on-the-job element to all, any training. Um, and then we talked a lot about you coming from the market research world, taking different business opportunities into different markets. And I, the one question I asked you was kind of, what do you think about when you're, you're creating a new opportunity? Um, because you had mentioned that brands have different fits for what they should be doing. So to figure out what you should be doing with an esports, first think about the audience, then try to identify the platforms that audience is on, then think about the talent that's gonna have not only the best content fit, but also an authentic feeling fit, which is that word that the esports industry loves to use. Yeah. <laughs> um and then and then after that, try to figure out what you're actually gonna do once you have all those steps in place. And we talked about how the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to that is having centralized data and resources. So we need more data. <laughs> if anyone out there is listening who wants to build a giant data brand or build the Bureau of Labor Statistics or and esports, call me. <laughs> I got ideas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Call both of us. <laughs> um, so Jen, so much to talk about, so much to think about. The thing that I love to end with in every episode is what I like to call the moment of reflection, just a chance for you to look back on your career, how you got to where you are. And I like to ask, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful?
1: I love this question. Um, I love I love listening to this on every episode of your podcast. I always find it so fascinating. You know, everyone's got very sort of different backgrounds um, based in different locations as well. So I always find it really interesting. Um, For me, I would say it's Dates back to um, sort of my teen years, um, really, where, you know, and I am alluded to this earlier as well, and moving into the gaming space, but my dad kind of instilled into me, you know, you really need to, to to work hard to get where you want to be and to reap the rewards. So even at a young age, you know, if I wanted to be able to, um, to do something um, myself, rather than just sort of having something handed to me, I really had to dedicate all my energy, time and effort to be able to. You know, maybe uh, it was working at a bakery when I was 14. If I wanted to go to the movies with my friends, you know, as simple as that. But like, um, you know, working hard to then be able to, to reap the rewards um, and enjoy. And this very much um, has kind of been instilled in me throughout my my career as well. Um, and I think it, it, it's been crucially important as well. Like my career path has obviously not been an obvious one. Um, you know, starting up in market research and I never even thought about working in the gaming industry you know it didn't even cross my mind and uh you know this the path that i've taken the the leap of faith that i took to move to asia which has then turned into my home for the last 14 years um you know and and taking the big leap from a corporate to to small uh medium-sized startups as well so um, you know, there's there's so many different leaps of faith that I've sort of taken along the route. So I think I would definitely tell myself, younger self, don't be afraid to do that. You know that really there there is nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose. You know, only to to gain from from experience. Um, every role is 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 a learning experience. So you know, take out of it everything that you can. Soak up all of that information and the skill sets. You know um, that that you can from every single role, which will then better you for, for the next role that you're going to take on um as well and you know it might not be an obvious path at the time but somehow you know with with hard work dedication and a little bit of faith i think uh you know you can end up landing your dream job and essentially i have to say that's that's where i feel i am today um i i still look back and wonder how on earth i got here but um you know i'm loving every minute of it it was a hard way through covid um having just started the job role but yeah I'm uh, I'm seeing a lot of great things ahead and, uh, yeah, just excited to see where things are really going to start shaping further in, in the gaming and esports space. So yeah. So
0: fun. So what I heard from that was study up, work hard and take risks. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Don't
1: don't live in regret.
0: (laughs) I like it. Thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been so much fun for me. I mean, Amphers is just Fascinating and what you're doing is fascinating. It's a totally new and fun approach to games and the focus on fun is is, is really clear and I, I, I hope that uh, more companies start to do that more often. Um where can people find you, follow you, follow Amp First, learn more? All the things.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, please do. So you can find me on LinkedIn uh, as Jenny Hall. So I'm at Ampfurse, Head of Strategic Partnerships. Um, so that's probably the easiest way to reach me directly. I don't tend to use my kind of social media quite so much for, for the kind of business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically seem to spend most of my life on it, to be honest, just from our creator and team's perspective. i probably use it for my own benefit. <laughs> um, and then um, on top of that, you can um, follow Ampverse um, on LinkedIn as well um, for all the latest updates um, on our teams and talents, uh, new product developments, etc. So yeah, we, we'd love for you to follow us. And, and please reach out to me if you have any questions at all, or you just want to thresh out some, some thoughts on, on the gaming and esports space as well. So yeah, I'm always here.
0: So fun for all the listeners out there. Be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Check out other holodeck media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, which I also occasionally use or don't use for personal and business purposes. It's all mixed up Uh, at Lindsay Poss. And you can catch me live on Wednesday afternoons now. We have a new time on the Business of Esports Live After Show. We'll see you next. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.